Thank you for listening, but please be advised that I hold no degrees in the topics I talk about. If you notice an error, please let me know at livingthroughextinction at gmail.com. Also, I swear and do not bleep anything out, so listener discretion is advised. situation here in Hawaii earlier this evening. The uh, civil defense calling for an evacuation of all low-lying areas because of a tsunami threat. Sky turns black as giant tornadoes touch down from Nebraska to Texas. Apocalyptic scenes as twisters. Good day. I'm Ruby and this is episode 44 of Living Through Extinction, a brief to-the-point podcast with science, skepticism, environment, wildlife, and ideas on how we can do better for future generations. If you're a weekly listener, I thank you very much for your continued support. If this is your first episode of Living Through Extinction, welcome! I hope you find it both fun and informative. Apparently, there was an unexpected result upon the evangelical population of the U.S. from the reign of the cult of Trump. Tens of millions have abandoned this brand of Christianity because of the toxic cult mindset that has taken over the group as a whole. I always said that there are reasonable Christians. They just aren't as loud as the willfully ignorant, hateful, and bigoted ones, and that's too bad. You fucking mega assholes are driving away your own people with your bigoted, disrespectful, anti-democracy, anti-science stances, and I say, good. Here's hoping tens of millions more wake up and see you for the corrupt fucks you are. When it comes to these Christians leaving the extremist groups they've been a part of their entire lives, I may not share their beliefs, but I approve of the step they've chosen to take to separate themselves from Christian evangelicals. When their own group became obviously corrupt, they left. I want to acknowledge that because there are so many in power who don't even have the ability to acknowledge bad behavior. Never mind condemn it. Never mind walk away because of it. It's a step anyway. Oh, and hey, be skeptical, damn it. Last episode, I covered aquifers and the way that we're draining them faster than they can be replenished. More bad news on the freshwater front. Many reservoirs are also reaching historic low levels due to extreme heat and drought for extended periods of time, which is caused by climate change, which is caused and aggravated by humans. One of the largest reservoirs in the U.S., Lake Mead, which is near Las Vegas, supplies water to Arizona, Nevada, California, and Mexico. This lake is currently at 35% capacity, which is the lowest it has been since it was first filled with the installation of the Hoover Dam. That would have been in the 1930s sometime. Um, I'm not the best when it comes to history. One of the lakes which feeds this Lake Mead is Lake Powell, and it is at 34% capacity. So that's part of the decline in Lake Mead. Lake Powell is getting so low that there's a risk that it will soon no longer be able to generate hydroelectricity. The Colorado River Basin is also having its lowest levels on record. And California's two largest reservoirs, Lake Shasta and Lake Oroville, Oroville, I want to say Oroville, 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 it's not the Oroville, Lake Oroville are also both below 40%. Imagine the river or lake near your home and then imagine it cut down to less than half the water. That's hard to picture in most cases. These severe reductions are going to reduce our access to clean hydropower. They will also affect transportation through these waterways as some larger boats will not be able to traverse them anymore. That could affect delivery of all sorts of things. Negative effects are already being seen in the Klamath River where record lows are causing fish die-offs. This heat and dryness we are experiencing right now, if not for human activity, it's estimated this would have been an average dry year in the American Southwest. 
It's our emissions over the last 20 years which have intensified it into the drought we see now. And there is potential for what I saw referred to as a mega drought. I'm sure we don't want to see that, but there may be nothing we can do at this point. So there's some bummer news for y'all. Shit, I think the next segment is a bummer too. Should have thought this out better. I acquired my information for this segment from an article at smithsonianmag.com. Yes, I obviously spend a lot of time there. There is mysterious illness killing birds in the U.S., and it is spreading through the mid-Atlantic states. Thousands of songbirds have been claimed, including blue jays, starlings, and robins. It's being called a mortality event, which means lots of the same animal are dying in a short amount of time from a supposed same cause. Scientists in 11 states are trying to figure this one out. More pathogens are being rolled out every day, but there are just so many to go through. The birds are going blind, and when found are usually shaking and unresponsive. If you find a bird in this condition, no matter where you are, it's helpful if you complete the online questionnaire for the Smithsonian National Zoo and Conservation Biology Institute. This way they can track potential cases and spreads. That site is http colon slash slash nationalzoo.si.edu slash bird dash report. Sleep is a precious thing that most of us don't get enough of these days. It can also be an annoying inconvenience that takes up way too much bloody time. How I wish it was just a habit I could kick, the things I could do. But our bodies need to rest. Our cells need to regenerate. Our brain needs to do its imprinting thing that it does when we sleep or we would have a very difficult time remembering things. We can't get around it if we want to be functional both mentally and physically, we have to sleep. Getting that needed sleep isn't always as easy as all that, however. I had wicked sleep issues growing up, so I'm aware of how hard it can be. Spent a lot of nights in bed just wide awake. I've also been in that position many times as an adult where all I want to do is sleep. I want it more than anything, but it just isn't happening. Then I get stressed out about the fact that I'm not sleeping yet and become even more wide awake, and it's just a complete nightmare. I actually fell asleep at work once due to one of those nights. I was mortified. Nobody saw me, but I was still mortified. I couldn't believe I let it happen. Talk about worst employee of the month. Mattresses are a pretty big part of our lives considering how much time is actually spent on them. In my case, it's even more because I will sit in bed during the day with my laptop table when I have work to do or my iPad if I don't like what everyone else is watching in the living room or my phone when I'm having a text conversation. Our home is small, so if I'm researching, for example, it's the living room where there would be distractions, or the kitchen where I would probably end up in someone's way, or my cozy bed with half a dozen pillows behind me, all my notebooks and pens at my side, and a view of my favorite things. I have a corner of some of my collectibles that I can see from where I sit. Even if your mattress doesn't quite get all the use that mine does, however, if you are in your 40s, I'm sure you've still been through your share of them by now. How did you get rid of yours? Did the people bringing the new one just take the old one away for you? It turns out mattresses are quite the global environmental problem. The US throws away 18.2 million per year and they only have 56 facilities that are capable of recycling them properly. That is not the best ratio. Correct that, that's an unbelievably impossible ratio. There just isn't any way 56 facilities can handle 18.2 million mattresses in a year which means a lot are going to have to end up in landfills. 
Apparently, Scotland throws away 600,000 mattresses per year. And in 2017, the UK threw away more than 7 million mattresses, most of which apparently ended up in landfills. Did you know that they are the most common illegally dumped items? They have a part in increasing city or municipality taxes because they are the ones who have to take on the cleanup responsibilities in the end. There are toxicity and space issues with mattresses and landfills. They are often made of petroleum-based products and put together with the use of toxic chemicals. Like anything sitting out for ages in a landfill, those chemicals will eventually leach out into the atmosphere, soil, and water. Mattresses are treated with chlorofluorocarbons or polybrominated biphenyl ethers for the purpose of fire resistance. The emissions from this are put out into the air during the manufacturing of the chemicals themselves and then are leached into the ground and water in the landfills. Polybrominated biphenyl ethers are extremely toxic and do not biodegrade, so over time the buildup just gets worse and worse. And it has been demonstrated that high levels can cause neurobehavioral issues and cancer. Of course, mattresses are also big and bulky and difficult to compress. Landfill workers have to use special equipment to break down mattresses, and apparently they're known in the industry as machine killers. Apparently the springs will pop during compacting and have often damaged equipment as a result. I did not find anything about people being hurt from this, thankfully. Anyway, of course we have to add in the energy use of the equipment required for these purposes as well. Because it is difficult on workers and hard on equipment, some landfills have been increasing their fees for mattresses specifically. On episode 9 about clothing and textiles, Jason and I discussed how cheap clothing is making things worse. They don't last as long and we cycle through them much more quickly, drastically increasing the problem. It's the same with mattresses. Unfortunately, if you can't afford a higher-end mattress, you may be stuck replacing it sooner rather than later. If you can afford it, however, it's better for the environment and actually cheaper for you in the long run to buy something more expensive. But watch for scams. Be skeptical, damn it. Wrong segment, but whatever. There are people who take old mattresses, wrap them up in a new layer of material, apply fake brand logos, fire safety labels, everything, and then sell them as new. Sometimes they'll go door to door stating that a delivery to a hotel had been turned away and now there's no room at the warehouse for them. They then ask if you might want to buy any of them at a discounted rate. If you were to take the top layer off of one of these mattresses, you would see that they are not clean and new on the inside. Yuck. When you do get an actual new mattress, there are a few options for what to do with the old one. 90% of most mattresses can be recycled and that is the best option if it's a possible one for you. Just keep in mind that a recycling company will not take anything wet or with bugs and they charge an average of about $30. You can often have the delivery company take away the old one, but one should research if they are a company that actually does recycle. They may just be taking it away and putting it in a landfill, which is kind of what we're trying to avoid here. If you find yourself with both the time and ability, you could theoretically take the bed apart yourself and bring the individual parts to a recycling center. You may even get a few cents for the metal springs. For me personally, it's worth the $30 to have someone else take care of all of this for me. Well, on the topic of recycling mattresses, here in Winnipeg, we have a company called Mother Earth Recycling that's doing good things in their neighborhood. They employ and train people from the community who face barriers in order to get them back into the workforce. Trainees are taught the labor-intensive work of separating the fabrics, foam, metal, and wood, and almost all of the materials end up with new life somewhere. The foam gets turned into carpet backing, metal gets melted and used for cans, wood is sold for crafts or firewood. It's all got some sort of use once it's been properly taken apart. There's apparently very little left over of a mattress in the end. 
A few small pieces of materials, some plastic corners that may not be recyclable, and sometimes zippers. You may have a company like this in your city. Check for the option. When making your choice for a new mattress, look for sustainable materials and items not treated with CFCs or PPDEs mentioned earlier. Find out where the closest manufacturer is to your location, as the closer the better, as always, when it comes to lessening travel emissions. Today there are materials available that are organic and eco-friendly. Ask or look up if the materials listed are biodegradable and what their harvesting practices are. How much pesticides and fertilizers are being used to come up with the final product. Find a green certification organization that you trust and look for their approval before buying. An interesting product used these days is an organic latex, which comes from the Hephaia brassiolensis tree. There's a process of acquiring the milk that looks kind of similar to how we tap trees for maple syrup here in Canada. Apparently it does not harm the tree. An added bonus is that it has a natural resistance to bacteria, mold, and dust mites, so great for people with allergies. Oh, and latex-based mattresses don't require metal springs. A company called Amerisleep is apparently creating a plant-based memory foam, so that's something to watch for as well. Once one has their new mattress, to make it last as long as possible, apparently it should be flipped every two weeks for at least the first six months of use. I never knew that. Also, don't jump on it, don't leave heavy objects on it, and keep it clean and dry. The longer it lasts, the longer before you have to spend the money again, and the better for the environment in the long run. Today I want to talk about my yard transformation. Working in my yard has turned out to give me a lot of joy. For years, it belonged to the kids. We always took care of the lawn because that's where our children played, and structures in the yard were child-focused. Two years ago, the youngest finally said they were done with the swings, so I sold and gave away some of the larger items no longer played with and started to plant a new yard. I wanted a garden. Last summer, my yard looked completely different, and I grew so many amazing things. I also started mapping out where the new stuff would go for this year. I want the grass gone. I hate it now. By the time I'm done, there'll be a little patch for putting the rabbit outside, and that will be it. Unfortunately, a lot of the work I should have done so far this year did not get done because I can't handle being outside in 40 degree heat. That's around 100 Fahrenheit, by the way. I just can't do it. And that's what it was when I took time off to be at home. And that's what it was on most of the weekends I had often at home. So compared to the last two years, I didn't make a whole lot of progress this year. But I still have a huge main garden, a couple of pallet gardens, my drum garden where old drums are being used as planters, and my sage gardens on that side. This year I managed to put in a couple smaller gardens on the other side of the yard, so I have an area for herbs now and a sweetgrass garden as well. I'm hoping to have my fence by the driveway lined with narrow pallet gardens for peas by next year too. When it's not 40 fucking degrees, this ongoing project gets me outside and gets me lots of exercise. It's a constant learning experience, but I have people I can get very good advice from, and of course I have the internet. I found out I love drying my own herbs, and I made this jalapeno powder that's amazing. My favorite thing to do with it right now is make jalapeno cream cheese. Oh my gosh, yum. I'm loving the regular access to cucumber salad, and last year I made my very first tomato soup. It was so good. Well, according to everyone but my son, he said it tasted too much like tomatoes. Campbell's tomato soup doesn't taste like tomatoes, and that's why he likes it, apparently. I thought it was the best tomato soup I ever tasted. I was so excited. My two major failures two years in a row were from attempting to grow carrots and lettuce. I tried different kinds of both two years in a row and got almost nothing both summers. I don't know if I should just give up on those particular crops for next year or maybe try getting seeds from somewhere else. 
Last year, my peppers all failed, but they more than made up for that this year. In my first two years, I've successfully grown spaghetti squash, corn, three different types of peas, five different types of tomatoes, cucumbers, jalapenos, red peppers, baby peppers, basil, oregano, cilantro, though not this year. This year it died, but last year I had lots of cilantro. Spring onions, rosemary, chives, dill, meadow sage, pineapple sage, smudging sage, and sweetgrass. Next year I'll try a few new things and try to rip up or cover some more lawn. I'm even thinking that this fall may end up being a good time to get some of it done. The major heat should be over by September, and maybe I can catch up a bit on what I didn't get done so far due to being too old to be outside in this heat. The good thing about this project is that it's ongoing, and it's good for me mentally to have projects like this to be into. We have a lot of yard space for a North End home, so the replacing of lawn with gardens is going to be something I can work on for many summers to come. And it's keeping me sane, keeping me happy. It's something I'm thoroughly enjoying when I'm able to get out there and do it. And I guess I'm done for another episode. Thank you for listening, and may your health and sanity be replenished daily. Strive to make someone smile today. It's selfish, really, because it'll make you feel good, too. Thank you to Jason Martin for composing the intro-outro for the show, and thank you to Kathy Rayner and Paul Palmer for the musical contributions on the violin and guitar. I hope you will join me again in two weeks for episode 45 of Living Through Extinction. Governor of Missouri declared a state of emergency. Very serious situation here in Hawaii. Earlier this evening, the uh, civil defense calling for an evacuation of all low-lying areas because of a tsunami threat. Sky turns black as giant tornadoes touch down from Nebraska to Texas. Apocalyptic scenes as twisters.